Hi doll. Oh my god, I still have gum. Hi doll. Today I am drinking another Hong Kong throwback Schweppes C. This is something that I would drink when I would have a cold. Oh yeah. Ah. Oh. It's very lemony. So it has like added vitamin C. You know, if you're feeling a little bit under the weather, you know, vitamin C is meant to help boost your immune system and, you know, stuff like that. I am going to continue knitting. Taking me forever, man. Deborah gave me some very nice encouragement, though. She was such a hype girl. But I'm not sure I even like the pattern. It's very dated, right? Or is dated cool now? I don't know. Okay, so obviously you can tell from the title and from the thumbnail what this story is going to be about. But please trust me, it's going to be bonkers. There's so many twists. I don't, I didn't want to ruin the twists in the title and the thumbnail. I want you to be surprised as we go, okay? Trust me. On Saturday, the 2nd of May in 1981, Aer Lingus Flight 164, which flies from Dublin to London, a flight I have taken many times, was carrying 10 crew and 103 passengers. The plane was about five minutes away from landing in London, so obviously the fasten your seatbelt sign was on. However, one of the crew noticed that a well-dressed, well-tanned businessman got up and went to the loo, but they were about to descend. Very dangerous. By the time one of the air crew had got up to scold this man, Lawrence James Downey exited the loo. He was walking through the hallway towards the cockpit. It was obvious from the smell that in the loo, the 54-year-old Lawrence had covered himself in petrol. Lawrence was holding two small vials. He informed the passengers that he was carrying cyanide gas and a lighter. He stormed into the cockpit and ordered the pilot not to land in London, but instead to fly to Iran. Lawrence said that he had drafted a new constitution for the Iranian people. And he wanted to deliver it personally to the Iranian people. <laughs> like, like what, who do you think you are? Writing, <laughs> just some rando dude, writing a constitution for a country. <laughs> oh God, white savior complex much? Dude. <laughs> the pilot explained to the desperate Lawrence that if he wanted to fly the extra 5,000 kilometers to Iran, then they would have to refuel. Like what on earth? This guy is a moron. Why would he think that there was enough fuel? Like a little jump. We're going from Dublin to London. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. Let's go to Iran. Has he never been on a plane before? They don't carry that much fuel for like a work round trip every single time they go somewhere. You're hauling all that fuel. You take enough fuel, roughly, for the journey you're about to take. A little bit more, just in case, you know, wiggle room. It's the same as driving. Like, come on. So anyway, basically, the pilot's like, we need to refuel to make that length of a trip. So eventually, Lawrence and the pilot, they settled on landing in France to refuel. Thankfully, there was constant contact between the plane and the French authorities on the way over. 
So obviously the French authorities were waiting at the airport when they landed and an almost eight hour standoff ensued. Which is when the reasoning behind Lawrence's crazy hijacking scheme came out. Hijackers at the time often demanded prisoners from their terrorist organisations to be like released or whatever. It was usually terrorist hijacks. And Lawrence, he wants to land in Iran, so maybe he's a terrorist. He must have similar demands. Everybody was thinking, or could this hijacking have something to do with a much publicised political Bobby Sands hunger strike in May's prison up in Belfast? Bobby Sands was on death's door and would die only days later. But no, Lawrence's hijacking point scheme objective was much stranger. Upon landing in France, Lawrence demanded that the Irish press, that the Irish press and Ireland's best-selling newspaper, the Irish Independent, publish a 3,500-word document or manifesto which he had written. Lawrence then had the pilot throw this document out the cockpit window. Okay, so listen, I can't focus, I can't knit. <laughs> this is just too crazy a uh, story. In this manifesto, Lawrence demanded that Pope John Paul II, yes, yes, this is where we're going, <laughs> reveal the third secret of Fatima. Yes, it is weird. I know it's not, it's nothing to do with Iran, nothing to do with terrorists, Bobby Sands, not even money. <laughs> totally out of left field. I told you this was a crazy story. So he wanted this third secret revealed by the Pope, as well as a published account of his gallant efforts to reveal this third secret. I'll get into the Holy Fatima secret stuff later. So anyway, as bonkers as Lawrence's and his demands were, it was still a very dangerous situation. The situation still had to be treated with the highest level of alert. Lawrence had 112 people hostage on a plane. He's covered in petrol and armed with cyanide. Is he unstable enough to kill a hostage? So the French police or SWAT team or whatever the equivalent was convinced Lawrence to allow an ill hostage to leave the plane via the back door. So they were like, this sick person gets to leave and we will publish your manifesto. Lawrence agreed to this and this told police that he was not an experienced hijacker nor had he researched it properly. He really didn't know what he was doing to allow police to take control of the situation so easily. So it's all happening and Lawrence is getting his way or he thinks he's getting his way. So Lawrence is connected with the Irish independent newspaper's editor and the 3,500 word manifesto is transcribed to the editor and sent via teletext, which I think is like a like a fax machine. So then it was arranged that the editor has this manifesto and the editor will communicate with Lawrence over the radio in the airplane. So the editor is on the radio talking to Lawrence 
telling him that he is agreeing, he agrees to publish Lawrence's document manifesto. But just as the editor is telling Lawrence this, French paratroopers storm the plane, barging in through the back door. The pilot grabbed Lawrence's arm while the squad overpowered Lawrence and pushed him to the ground. In fairness, Lawrence didn't put up a fight. He knew it was over. He was arrested. And thankfully, not one shot was fired. And the hostages were set free. Thank God. Some of the hostages laughed it off, but some were really shaken up. Like, I don't know how I would feel if I was a hostage on a plane for eight hours, over eight hours. I think I would cry. I would be a crier. So thankfully, the whole taking him down thing was over in just a matter of seconds. And apparently this is called a double distraction, like it's an actual thing that SWAT teams and squads use, double distraction. So he's on the radio while the sick person is being let out of the back door. So he's not really focused on what's happening over here because he's distracted over here. It's a really good idea. Okay, so we're not really finished yet. Shirley, you want to know about this crazy dude, Lawrence, right? What's his deal? Well, when he was arrested, Lawrence revealed everything to the police. And everything that I'm about to say checked out. Lawrence was telling the truth about all this weird shenanigans that I'm about to describe. For a start, Lawrence was Australian. He was not Irish. And he used to be a Trappist monk in the 1950s. So Lawrence was a monk when he was like 20, like 20-ish in his 20s. And if you ask me, Lawrence always seemed to be a bit of a hothead because <laughs> he was fired from being a monk or expelled or expunged or whatever the word is because he punched his superior in the face. Yes, he was a violent monk. I don't think he got the memo of monking. <laughs> so he got fired from being a monk. So Lawrence has like a crazy CV resume scattered throughout his life. I don't know what order, but I know that he was apparently a mercenary, a merchant seaman, and a professional boxer, as well as a monk. He then, at some point after being a monk, obviously he's got all this like holy religious knowledge. So he decided that he's going to become a tour guide in Portugal, specifically at a shrine devoted to Our Lady of Fatima. Now, I'm sure most Catholics, good Catholics will know, or maybe they'll remember this story of Our Lady of Fatima. So in Catholicism, it is believed that many decades ago, Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, appeared to three children here in Fatima. I believe that she like healed one of them or all three of them. I'm not too sure. Maybe I'm confusing that one with like the Lourdes, Our Lady of Lourdes. Anyway, the Holy Virgin appeared to three little children, brothers and sisters. It was two girls and a boy. Appeared to them and shared with them three secrets. And these secrets became known as the Three Secrets of Fatima. Now, the first two secrets were revealed in 1942. The first secret was a vision of hell, which is like, and 
I read a little bit. I read way too much into these Fatima secrets. And apparently it was just like really hot. And everybody who was in hell was like a black shadow. And it was really scary. I don't know. So that's what the first vision was. Or the first secret was, sorry. The second secret was a little bit more dramatic. The second secret, it predicted World War One, And it predicted that there would be a worse war after. Now, if you ask me, both of these secrets, they're very unsubstantial. Like, I could tell you that I've seen heaven. And you just have to believe me. Like, there's no proof, you know. Or I could tell you that I've seen hell. There's no way to prove it. I don't see how it's a secret. Like, it's not very tangible. Like, it's not really predicting the future, is it? Because you can't go there and then come back. And then the second secret, predicting World War One and World War Two, but you predicted it, predicted World War One and Two after the fact. Like you can't be. <laughs> it's like me arguing with Jaren. Like, oh, I knew you were going to do that. You know, it's like, oh, I knew there was going to be World War One and there's going to be a World War Two. But World War Two had already started by the time the secret was released. I, I don't buy it, is all I'm saying. I'm a very sceptical lass. Okay, so the third and final secret was known only to the Pope and other senior officials in the Vatican. According to the three children of Fatima, the third secret was not to be revealed until 1960. Apparently, this is when it would become much clearer. So the third secret was written on a little piece of paper. And then in 1960, the Vatican opened up this mysterious piece of paper with this mysterious third secret. Apparently, the then Pope, Pope John XIII, reportedly had a look of horror on his face when he read the third secret. This added huge mystery and and fear. Like people thought maybe it was the end of the world. Is it Armageddon? Do, did uh, the Virgin predict what what day that world is going to end? What is so scary? What is written on this piece of paper? And in 1960, the Vatican refused to share the third secret with the world. So this is when Lawrence became infatuated with the third secret. Like, what was it? He's probably also in Portugal doing the tours at the same time. So it's just like going in his head, going round and round. Lawrence wanted to know, what is the third secret? What could it be? Why won't they let it out? Why won't they tell us what is the third secret? Like, don't you think, like, oh, don't you think that, like, this could be a movie? Like, (laughs) like, where is Nicolas Cage? Where is he? I'm getting such like national treasure vibes. Or that movie with Tom Hanks and like Tom Hanks and The Last Supper. What was that movie? And there's like a cup and all the Christians were angry about it. What was that movie? I'm getting vibes like that. Anyway, so after being a tour guide in Fatima and sending his head askew, Lawrence returned to Australia and for enough time to get married and have five children. No doubt he tortured them with all of his freaking theories about the third secret. Oh, his poor family. I bet 
that he was a torture to have at parties around the dinner table. Oh, God. Oh, and also, while in Australia, he also committed $70,000 worth of land fraud. So it was after this land fraud debacle stuff that he fled Australia, left his kids, left his wife and moved to Ireland. While in Ireland, he set up a successful language learning centre and was living in Dublin around the time of the hijacking. So he was also wanted in Ireland too for assaulting some someone. He was just, he's just like hothead, I'm telling you hothead, but doll, he has had such a colourful life, right? It's not every day that you're jealous of a, of a religious hijacker. <laughs> Such adventures he's had. After his arrest, Lawrence revealed that he never had any intention of going to Ireland or of going to Iran. He said all he wanted was the media and the Pope's attention as well as credit for his gallant efforts to expose the third secret. He wanted some notoriety. The cyanide vials turned out to be blue toilet salts mixed with vodka. <laughs> oh God, prank, prank, it's a prank. Lawrence, playing with people's hearts here. And it turned out that he had only put petrol on his hands. Like, so you could smell the petrol, but it was only on his hands. The rest of his clothes was covered in water. Now, something a little bit weird did happen after this hijacking. Only 11 days later, on the 13th of May, 1981, a Turkish man shot and almost killed Pope John Paul II while in the Vatican. Like, this is only 11 days later. It's just so... This assassination... Assassination... This assassination attempt also had links to the third secret of Fatima. Like, what is going on here? The date of the assassination attempt, May 13th, is an anniversary of the day of the Virgin Mary's apparition in Fatima. It was the day that she appeared to the children. Coincidence? I think not. The Turkish man also had an obsession with the third secret. And during his trial for attempted assassination, he also called on the Vatican to release the third secret. Like, what is going on? Somebody just released the damn secret already. Oh my God, it cannot be worth all of this hassle. Anyway, back to Lawrence. Two years later in France, Lawrence was sentenced to five years imprisonment for air piracy. And after good behaviour and probably some counselling and a little bit of drugs, because it is a little bit sad, like Lawrence literally thought that it was on him, like it was his duty to reveal the third secret. He felt all like intertwined with it. He, like he really did melt his head. And the Turkish guy was probably the same, you know, like he became obsessed and he couldn't get out of this cycle. And, you know, he probably just needed, you know, a chill pill and some counselling. And I'm sure he came to reason. Well, he obviously did come to reason because they let him out quite early when they realised, right, he's no longer a threat. So he was released 16 months later. He got away quite light, in my opinion. But I, like, I, th I think he wasn't well 
and he didn't hurt anyone. He just, you know, caused a lot of delays. And it wasn't until 19 years later that the third secret of Fatima was finally revealed. The Vatican revealed the third secret in 2000. Do you want to know what the secret was? The secret written on the paper that they read in 1960 and they held on to. There was a look of fear, so much drama. The secret was a prediction of the 1981 assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II. Come on, it's the same as the first two secrets. It's totally like on substantial, like you can't prove it. Like, and it's just like you're predicting something that happened in the past. What is that called? There's definitely a word for it. I should have looked it up. Jaren had something to say. He was just like, oh, it reminds me of Nostradamus. It's all a farce. It's all a farce. Okay, and also this, very theatrically. One of the bullets that was used in the assassination attempt that struck the Pope was later incorporated into Our Lady of Fatima's crown. I didn't look it up. I look it up when I'm editing and put it here. Wow. I don't know what it looks like. I'm... I am predicting just, I'm the fourth secret. I'm predicting that it's going to be, wow, that's amazing. How miraculous. A bullet in a crown. Wow. Years later, after the dust had settled, Lawrence became known as, do you want to have a guess at his nickname? Lawrence became known as the Holy Hijacker. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Irish people are so funny. It reminds me of that comedy movie. Have you seen the movie Holy Water? <laughs> like, we cannot take anything seriously. And Lawrence, he, he took it on the chin and was happily interviewed by RTE when they made a documentary called The Holy Hijacker. And he appeared on it. Lawrence said in the documentary, the whole idea was a publicity stunt to draw attention to the suppression of this information about the third secret of Fatima. Lawrence was also asked, you know, his opinion on what the third secret of Fatima was. He said that knowing the third secret, unfortunately, did not bring him peace or happiness. Lawrence, so sorry. As well as a documentary one of the most peculiar hijackings the world has ever seen, ever heard of. The Holy Hijacker has also been turned into a comedic play, a radio drama and a podcast. And that is the end of The Holy Hijacker. I want to thank my, I want to thank, th thank, I want to thank the Patreon supporters. There is more episodes on Patreon. Uh, I've noticed that the Patreon episodes tend to be a little bit more gruesome. Um, yeah, so if you have some gory, gruesome ones, go there. Thank you, Renee, Stephanie, Justin, Emer, Vicky, Deborah, Jem, Toya, Laura, Jason and Terry, Sydney, Karen, Liana, Sarah, Angelina, Lou Marie, Sarah G, Kirsty B, Francesca and Sean. And I want to say now that I'm going to make, I'm going to have a lower tier. I'm going to make a one pound a month Patreon if you want to access it. And if anybody has been supporting the podcast previously, that they can lower their amount that they're donating 
I understand that the podcast has changed a lot and I'm still finding my feet. I think I'm getting better. Uh, Slan. Slan. Ding. He stormed into the cockpit. Out the cockpit. Apologies, I just had dinner. Oh my god. I am so pale, it's disgusting.